Hey, good morning, Forest Park. Great to see you guys today. I want to ask you a question. What makes a person happy? That's a big question, isn't it? Let's, let's make it more personal, okay? What makes you happy? I don't mean a fresh cup of coffee kind of happy. More than eating at your favorite restaurant, happy. More than a beautiful day at the beach, happy. Or fishing or racing or playing softball, happy. I mean, what makes you deeply happy? Fulfilled, content, genuinely and authentically happy. What do you think it is? Getting the man or woman of your choice, landing your dream job, being paid what you believe you are worth, having the comforts of life, house, transportation, money, vacation, you know, all the goods, having children, grandchildren, all the above. What makes you happy? All those things play a role, but, but what is it that finally makes a person ultimately content? You know, science has probed this question for a long time. Research from psychologists, brain scientists, counselors, philosophers, medical doctors, pastors, authors, on and on it goes. They've given a lot of insight into what it is that makes someone finally happy. I encourage you to read up on it all you can. Fascinating insight, lots of stuff there to be learned and processed. The desire to be happy is universal. In fact, the Declaration of Independence places our desire to be happy at the foundation of what makes humans thrive. It was Thomas Jefferson who said, and I can't get my thing to click on there, boom. Click on the uh, square there for me, Brandon, and give me the control of that. Still not working. All right. Click into the square. There we go. Thank you. It's not there. Okay. (laughs) The Declaration of Independence, it's gone. It was up there. Uh, The quote is, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and what? You know it? The pursuit of happiness. Our country is founded on the belief our Creator God endowed us with the right to pursue and attain happiness. So happiness must be a powerful motivator, for it motivated those incredible men and women to throw off the chains of tyranny and sacrifice their lives for the sake of freedom and happiness. And I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be happy, and I don't know anybody who isn't trying at some level to be happy. We might call happiness, you know, something different. You may use a different name, but everybody wants a sense of peace and joy and fulfillment, overall contentment, and looking forward to what's next. And when we don't have it, ever how you define it, when we don't have it, we try to get it through a variety of different things. A new partner, more money. A better body image, more success, accomplishments, trophies, degrees, ribbons, whatever it is. Or maybe we go over to kind of the darker side and get into alcohol or drugs or something synthetic that makes us feel a sense of happiness. Whatever it is. But until we find that thing, the source of joy, the fount of happiness, we will keep looking. We will keep pursuing. We will keep dreaming. And a few of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, you've tried everything to be happy. Everything. And you're still trying. After all these years, you're still trying. 
You experience a little bit here and there, a little splash of happiness comes your way and you're excited, but you're beginning to doubt because nothing ever seems to endure. You get happy for a few days, maybe for a few weeks, a month or so at a time, and then you slink right back down into this state of unhappiness. You know it's possible because you've seen other people seem to be happy, you watch other people seem to be happy, but you, no matter what you've tried, always seem to go back to where you were before. Now listen to me very carefully, all right? I'm not going where you think I may be going today in this message. In fact, here's what some of you are expecting me as a pastor to say. I'm going to give you the, the cliff notes. Basically, I'm going to say something like this. You want happiness? Well, you're, you're seeking it in all the wrong places, and you're never going to have it until you pursue Jesus. So follow Jesus, and you will find ultimate happiness, and then we'll have a time of prayer, dismiss, what a great message, pastor, and I'll say thank you. Well, that's not where I'm headed today. Some of you are trying to stay ahead of me, and that's kind of what you expect me to say. I mean, we're in church. This is a sermon. If you call this a sermon, this is a sermon, and uh, that's kind of what you expect to hear in church. It's not where I'm headed. Assuming the risk of being misunderstood, listen to me very carefully. Pursuing Jesus, at least in the way that a lot of people describe it, does not bring ultimate happiness. Most of what you hear in church about pursuing Jesus is emotionally based. And it is one reason we have so many discontented Christians. It's the reason we've had people leave Forest Park and say on their way out, I tried it, but it didn't work. I want you to hear me clearly. I tried it too, and it didn't work. Say, so tried what? You know, Bible study, prayer, worship, church, preaching, teaching, church growth, all the things down the list, trying to get that sense of happiness. It didn't work. It was fleeting. It came and it left. Ebb and flow. The reason, quote unquote, pursuing Jesus the way I've described it doesn't work is because our definition of pursuing Jesus is too narrow. We Christians are notorious for putting Jesus and his kingdom in small boxes. And sometimes the only difference in this church and that church is one church has a little larger box than the other church. But at the core, all the churches simply place Jesus and his kingdom in a box. It may be a different size, it may be a different color, but it's still a box. And the problem is any box we place Jesus and his kingdom inside is infinitely too small. And when we follow this too small Jesus with his too small kingdom, then we should not be surprised when we experience not enough happiness. You are bigger on the inside than you think, and you require a huge Jesus and a huge kingdom to be fulfilled. And too many churches present a small Jesus leading a small kingdom and are shocked when the people become too big for both and burst out. Let me see if I can help you picture this. Let's back up and kind of get a big bird's eye view of this, okay? Now, I'm not an artist. I don't draw well. I don't even put together slides that well. But here's kind of what I came up with that might help you visualize a little bit. Here is kind of a traditional narrow view of how we see God's kingdom and then what we describe as the kingdom of the world. On the left-hand side, maybe I should have put that on the right. It depends on your political persuasion. The kingdom of heaven is, you know, things that we call the church, the Bible, outreach, evangelism, serving people, community, and, of course, me. 
because I'm always on the kingdom of heaven side. And then on the other side, we have the kingdom of the world. This is kind of how a lot of us Christians see the way we interact and function within our world today. There is work and science and medicine and skills and entertainment and friends and, of course, the other people. Because we're always on the, the, the kingdom of heaven side and other people seem to be on the kingdom of the world side. Then I put that big line down the middle because we seem to have this division between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of the world. And it's an impenetrable divide line. And we Christians sometimes are always trying to get more of the people on this side to join us on this side. So our evangelism is to go over into the world and try to get the people in the world to come over to our side. And we go to church on Sunday. And then on Monday, we got to go to the kingdom of the world. And then sometimes during the week, we do some things in the kingdom of the world that we feel really guilty about. And then we come back to the kingdom of heaven like on Sunday, and we repent before the worship gets started so we can at least feel pretty good when they're singing them one of our favorite songs, and then we have to go back out into the world, and then we go on a mission trip, and we serve people, because that's kind of the kingdom of heaven, and we take the kingdom of heaven to Ecuador, or to Africa, or to wherever it is, and we have this dividing line, and my friends are over on that side, and I'm on this side, and I want to get more of my friends to join me on this side, and we kind of think about everything being two things. I understand. You're going to leave here with some more questions than, you, than, than I'm going to answer, and I'm not answering all the questions. That's not the point of this. It's just an overall view. Here's a better way to see it. More of the kingdom of heaven view. All of it is together. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about how the farmer went out and sowed seed all over the field. It was everywhere, and some came up, and some didn't come up, and some's on shallow ground, and some's on fertile ground, and all the different things. And if you were here, you've heard me talk about how big the kingdom is, and it's sown all over the world, and in all people. And we, gotta, we Christians have got to start seeing the kingdom active everywhere. The kingdom doesn't stop when you leave here today and go to, go to lunch or go to work tomorrow. No, 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 no. See, the church and the Bible and work and science and outreach and medicine and evangelism and skills and serving people and entertainment and community and friends and me and other people, all of it is within the kingdom of God. And if we would start seeing our Monday and our Sunday as just one thing and start seeing our friends and our family being one part of one thing and start seeing that we never leave the kingdom of God. We never enter into the kingdom of God. We're part of the kingdom of God. And our worldview and our concept of the kingdom becomes huge and large. It'll change the way we see everything. And within the kingdom model is where genuine happiness is discovered, pursued, and enjoyed. Now, I know this is a big idea, and I'm going to bring this down to this parable Jesus tells. You're going to see it in a little bit more, hopefully, clearer when I'm finished with this. Let's look at these, these two stories Jesus tells, and then we'll connect the dots. The first one is found in Matthew 13. Actually, both of them are found in Matthew 13. The first story is one verse. You can handle that. One verse. And the second story, two verses. So, he tells two stories in three verses. Both are brief. Both are concentrated truth, packed with truth. The first one is referred to as the parable of the treasure. Listen to what Jesus says. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. What's the kingdom of heaven like? Remember, is it two different things or is it one large thing? Is, is it two distinct with an impenetrable wall between or is it one thing? Watch how Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that somebody hid in a field, which someone else found and covered up. Full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought that field. Now, we need to make sure we have the right perspective when we read this picture Jesus paints for us. According to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like, and you got to follow, it's like a person so overcome with excitement and joy, he has found what is worth more than anything he currently has. He is willing to sell everything else and buy it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Listen to me very carefully. Here's where we get it wrong, and it's very easy to do. We misinterpret this parable. Jesus is not saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, period. He's not saying the kingdom of heaven is like a thing, like a treasure, and you and I are to sell everything to purchase that treasure, make sacrifices to obtain the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is the treasure that we got to go make sacrifices to get. That is not what he's saying. Jesus is not saying the kingdom of heaven is like the field in which the treasure is hidden. So go and purchase the field, and if you purchase the field, you'll get the treasure. No, no, no. This view that I'm just describing is where stronger people like me with a microphone on a stage guilt other people like you sitting out in the congregation to give up their money and give up their time and give up their energy for religion and buy the treasure. Purchase the field. You got to be willing to lay it all down for Jesus. And if you will lay it all down for Jesus, then you will find the treasure. If you'll lay it all down for Jesus, you'll get the field. Folks, I've preached it. I have guilted hundreds of people into it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, what he is saying here is so much more subtle and so much more refined and so much more shrewd than that. See, here's a side note. When you read parables, they're supposed to be shocking. It's three verses that he's giving eternal truth in, and he's packed it, concentrated it in just three verses. You're supposed to walk away from a parable and go, what? You're supposed to walk away from a parable scratching your head and saying, oh, whoa, 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 okay. You answered one of my questions, but now how you answered my question has stirred up ten more questions. You're supposed to walk away and say, I'm not so sure I want to follow him anymore. You're supposed to walk away and say, that is such upside down thinking. I'm not really sure how I fit into that, and that fits into me. See, we've tamed the parables. We've tamed them so they sound like this. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is a field. Now, what what you need to do is go buy the field, buy the treasure. And the way you do that is you come to church every week, and you give your money, and you go on mission trips, and you pray a lot. And if you'll keep doing those things, one day you will buy the treasure. One day you will buy the field, and you'll have ultimate happiness. That is so thin. So thin. He is saying... The kingdom of heaven is like, and then everything that follows the word like is describing the kingdom of heaven. Now watch this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and he kind of pauses and puts in perspective, and puts in a picture in your mind. It's like, now watch this, a treasure that somebody hid in a field which someone else found and covered up. Do you have that? You have that image in your mind? Here it is. 
full of joy, the finder sold everything and bought the field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me explain. He is saying the kingdom of heaven is like the passion and joy and excitement of finally discovering what is worth more than everything else that you've ever had before and you're so overcome with joy, you are willing to get rid of everything else to have that one thing. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Follow. The kingdom of heaven is not the thing. It's not the, it's not the treasure. It's not the field. The kingdom of heaven is like finally figuring out what matters in life. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Let me make it more clear. You know that moment, and it happens to everybody at different times. But you know that moment when everything clicks and you go, that's what life is about. You know that single second when you have this internal aha moment and you think, why didn't I know that years ago? You know that moment of clarity when you finally see life for what it is and your past and your current issues and your future worries just kind of fade into a sense of, you know what, I am going to be okay. And suddenly only a few things matter, maybe only one you know, that, that, that moment that I'm talking about, that knowledge that I'm talking about, that sense of purpose and meaning, that is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like one large aha moment. It's like one moment where you say, that is what it's all about. And until you have that moment until life's purpose and meaning crystallizes for you, you will pursue happiness and joy in every conceivable place, and you will never possess it. No, notice this guy in the story. He's collected stuff his entire life, stuff he thought he wanted, stuff he thought he would always want, stuff he was convinced that he would need. But one day he's walking through a field. And when he's walking through the field, he finds this treasure that somebody else hid. Keep, keep that in mind. Someone else hid it. He finds it, and all of a sudden he says, I'm done searching. I'm finished looking. I, I, I've got to get this treasure. So he hides it even further so nobody will find it. He goes out and he liquidates everything. He sells everything he has. He comes back and buys the field, for he has finally found what he's always been looking for. This hidden treasure is worth more than anything he has ever accumulated in his entire life. The joy of liquidating everything for this treasure, that is what the kingdom of God is like. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mostly it's our older folks. I'll let you define older folks. No age. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know when you're older and you've gained some wisdom and probably some weight? You've gained some truth 
some experience. You probably have some scars. And you look back across your life and you realize how many things you wasted energy on. How many things you wasted money on. How many days you spent wringing your hands over what really didn't matter. And you look back across the field of your life and finally it clicks. And, and, and finally, what matters is just your family and, and, and a friend or two. And, and you're done with all the fake images and all the fake people and all the empty promises. And, and sitting around a dinner table with your kids or your spouse is worth everything else. You, you know, when you finally move to a place and you think, you know what, it doesn't matter what everybody else says about me as long as those who know me best respect me most. You know when you get finished with a hard day's work and you might not make a lot of money, but what you do is deeply fulfilling? You know when you look back across the room and the man or woman you love and they are far from perfect, but they are perfect for you and you want to be perfect for them? You know when you sit with your parents or your grandparents or your grandkids, and you're at peace? You know when life becomes simpler and love is what matters most? You know when you quit chasing silly things and you start doing meaningful things? And you, and you would have given everything up if you could have just known then what you know now? In that moment, you've tasted the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's saying. It's so much bigger than buy the field, buy the treasure. Come to church, pray your prayers. So much bigger. And when you finally see it, when you finally figure out what life is about, when you finally have that moment, that aha moment where everything clicks, you start thinking, where have you been all my life? Why didn't I live like that when I first got married? Why didn't I think about that when my kids were little? Why, why, why didn't I value my character? Why didn't I value my friends? Why didn't I value this or that? Why did I spend so much time wandering through fields? I wish I would have only found this treasure earlier. Remember I said hidden treasure? Remember he found a treasure hidden? Every single word Jesus uses is important. Every single thing is packed with truth. Watch this. Matthew eleven twenty five. Jesus speaking, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to baby. He's hidden the truth. He's hidden the true treasure of what life is about. Few people find it. Luke 18, 31 through 34, this is the last part of that. Did not, they did not, they did not understand many of these things. And this word was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. Many of the disciples didn't catch the treasure of Jesus' words. In fact, sometimes when he was finished telling them something, they scratched their heads and, what do you mean? I don't get it. So many of us live our entire lives and we never get it. We never get it. Revelation 2.17, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. There's manna, and then there's hidden manna. It's a treasure that you have to find. 
Look at this, Colossians 3, 3 and 4. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Truth, truth, truth. Obviously, the treasure is hidden, and unfortunately, most people never find it. You have any idea how many people pass from this life into the next, and they have never found the treasure? How many people that I've, I've looked at, and I thought to myself, you know, this person seemed like she was always on a search, never finding the treasure, never finally resting in what really mattered in life. No wonder this man in this parable was so excited when he finally found the treasure because what he had wanted his entire life, he finally came across. And when he came across it, the search was over. And then Jesus goes directly into another story and drives this point home even further. Two verses, and I mean he drives it home. Watch this. This is called the parable of the merchant. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is not like the merchant, period. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. But that's not all. When he found the one very precious pearl, he went and sold all that he owned and he bought it. The kingdom of heaven, folks, is not the pearl. I used to think it was, and I preached that it was, and my very next line was this. We should sell everything we have, give up all we have, sacrifice all we have to get the pearl. The pearl is the kingdom of heaven, and if you want the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to kind of work for it. You're going to have to give to it. You're going to have to try hard. No. The kingdom of heaven is like the merchant in search of fine pearls. Notice he's been looking for many pearls, lots of stuff, many different things. But when he finds the one very precious pearl, he sells it and he buys it. The kingdom of heaven is that desire he has, that click, that moment where he says, this is it. I'm finished looking. Here's an insight, three insights in a row. When he found the one pearl, he stopped searching for all other pearls. Another insight, he stopped searching because he knew when to stop. What's so insightful about that? When you get older and wiser, and trust me, they're not one of the same. If you get older and wiser, you're, you're blessed. You look back in your life and you realize that there were times when you had the pearl. But you kept looking. This man had it and stopped his search. Some of us have been given some beautiful pearls and we've lost them. And we've lost them because we didn't know we had them. Third insight, when he found what he was looking for, all his other desires faded away. He needed nothing else. The kingdom of heaven is this realization that this one thing is more important than all the other things. 
and then having the courage to do whatever is necessary to get and keep that one thing. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I know the question so many of you have. What's the one thing? You've got to figure that out. You have to figure it out. I can't tell you. You have to discover it. When Jesus got finished with the parable, it just, it's done. He just says, the kingdom of heaven is like this man on a search for, he's on search for pearls. He finds one, he sells everything he's got, and he gets it. The kingdom of heaven is like this man who walking through a field, finds treasure, sells everything he gets, and buys the field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he stops. And everyone's going, but, 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 but what about me? What's my treasure? Well, how do I figure it out? Well, what does it look like? What? No, 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 no. You've got to wrestle with that. That's the point of the parable. So what about you? Let's work through that. What about you? Do you know the one thing? Don't lift your hand. Don't nod. Just, just work it out in your own privacy right there. Do you know the one thing? Don't answer it too quickly. We tend to answer the way we think we should answer. We, we tend to think and answer the way people expect us to answer. And a few of us are answering the way our husband or our kids or our parents or our church or our friends expect us to answer. The question is, what is your one thing? Not what is her one thing. Not what's the church's one thing. What's your one thing? Your one thing that is so precious, so, so beautiful, so amazing that you would give everything if you could have that. What is your one thing? You see, until you know your one thing, you'll keep looking. You will be like the merchant in search of many pearls. You will go from relationship to relationship. And when you get to the next relationship, you'll be asking things like this. Is it here? Is it here? You'll go from this job to that job asking, is what I'm looking for here? You'll go from this church to that church, and when you get to the new church, you will say something like, has ever, anybody have a better pearl than the one I have? Because the one I have doesn't seem to be that great. Or you won't move at all. You'll remain stuck, never accomplishing anything you believe is worthwhile. Nothing you believe is worth your best. Until you know what your one thing is, you're not living. It's been said, Two most important days of your life, the day you were born, the day you discover why. Do you know why? Can I ask you some tough questions? Sure, Scott. We would love tough questions. All right. Do you have any idea what you were looking for in life? Do you have any idea? If not, how will you know what it is when you find it? You see, when the guy found it, he stopped because he knew that's what he wanted. When he found the treasure, he stopped. He bought the field because he knew what he wanted. Do you know what you want? And is that thing, whatever it is, whatever that, that passion is, that desire, is it big enough and important enough and significant enough to cause you to leave all other things to get it? Here's an insight. Once the merchant sold everything he had and bought the pearl, he ceased to be a merchant. He became a man with a priceless pearl. His identity switched. When you finally figured that out, 
and you have that moment and you say, that's it. Now you're living and thriving within the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's make it real practical before we wrap it up. Dr. Amy Jill Levine, she asked a question. I was reading some of her work on parables. And in this, she said, what is your pearl of supreme value? For what would you sell everything you own? Now, be careful, as I mentioned. Don't respond the way a church or pastor might want you to respond. You need to sit with this. The reason why I'm not going to give you your one thing is because you've got to work on it. You, you need to sit right here and meditate on that question, pray through that question, think through that question. You, you, you need to wrestle through just like Jesus when he told the disciples and they walked away scratching their heads because they couldn't figure it all out in the moment. You, you're not going to figure it all out in this service. You need to work through that in your own life. This parable, the story Jesus tells, has been spiritualized way too much. You've got to think more broadly. That's why I set up the whole two kingdom thing and the whole big kingdom thing. You've got to put your desires within the large kingdom, not just the church kingdom. What is it? What is your one thing? Watch this. On Monday evenings during the school year, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, who is a professor at Vanderbilt University, she teaches or facilitates a divinity course at Riverbend Maximum Security Prison. The first year she taught 12 Riverbend inmates and 12 Vanderbilt students studied the book of Matthew together. Now, can you imagine being in the room with 12 prisoners and 12 Vanderbilt University students? More than likely, university students, well-connected, good money, probably lived a pretty good life, and they're sitting shoulder to shoulder with 12 prisoners who were there, many of them for life. The first year she taught the course of Matthew, these 12 Riverbend inmates and 12 Vanderbilt students, they, they studied the book of Matthew together. And when she got to this parable, she asked this question, the same question I pose to you. What is your pearl of supreme value? For what would you sell everything you own? What an interesting question to ask at a maximum security prison. One Riverbend student inmate said simply, freedom. Freedom. He, he said he would do whatever it took, confession of his crime rather than denial, anger management courses, psychological tests, anything. He would do anything if he could just get up and walk outside and be free one more time. And when he said, I am free, if I can ever be free, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to break the cycle of crime and incarceration in my history. Freedom. Something you and I take for granted. In fact, when is the last time you really ever celebrated your freedom? In just a moment, we're going to pray and, and, and dismiss, and you're going to get up, and you're going to walk out and go anywhere you want to go. Freedom. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, freedom. Do you ever look at it and say, I have what millions of people around this world wish they had? 
So we, we miss the pearl, don't we? We, we? we miss the treasure right there. Because we get on social media and we compare our house to somebody else's house. We get on social media and we compare our body to somebody else's body. We get on social media and we compare our income to somebody else's income. We compare our life to their life and we think we don't have all the goods and yet the goods are in our, our, our bedroom in the back where our kids are asleep. The goods are in our refrigerator with the food we have with the family gathered around the table with the fact that I can text my son anytime I want, the fact that I'm free to go where I want, the fact that I can stand on the stage and preach and teach, and you're here to listen, and we have friends and, and people, and we have scripture, and we have a job, and we have money and transportation, and we miss the pearls, don't we? We keep looking for the pearls. We keep looking for the pearls. We keep walking through more fields and more fields and more fields until we finally get old enough that we say, stop. It's right here. Another, another inmate simply said, safety. Safety. He said he would invest everything he ever had if he could just ensure he wasn't going to get knifed in the chow line or attacked in the shower. But you haven't ever thought about that. Safety. We take it for granted all the time, do we not? It's right in front of us and we don't think about it. Another student said that when he came to prison, he lost everything. His property, his clothing, his identity, his dignity. And now he's got to reconstruct all of it layer by layer, tier by tier. And maybe one day he can figure out what his pearl is. What's yours? Some of us never know until it's gone. Then we realize we had it and we let it go. Let's put some legs on this, okay? For some of you, the pearl you seek is not some grand spiritual thing. It's not, you know, I just want to change the world. I, I just want to feed all the kids. I just want to build houses around the world. I mean, that's great. That's awesome. But we see, we spiritualize this and make it so big and so grand. You know what? For some of you, if you were honest, this is what you would say your, your pearl is. You just, you would give everything if you could just have peace from anxiety. Because everything in your life would be different. Because you realize that peace is so much more important than the car and the house and all the other stuff. For some of you, it would just be freedom from addiction. You get a few days and then you fall back. You get a month and then you fall back. And every single time it eats your lunch. For some of you, it would be healing from childhood scars. You carry the emotional wounds and maybe even the physical wounds from what happened to you when you were just a little girl, little boy, and you've struggled with it your whole life. For some of you, it'd be a second chance in life. If you could just start over, just if, if don't you wish sometimes life had a reset button and you could just, right? Because you messed it up the first time and you would love to start it again. 
some of you just wish your business could take off and you could finally have the financial freedom that you've always dreamed of because it would change everything, your kids, your family, your future. You could give things to people. You could help people. You just, what makes this parable lose its punch is over-spiritualizing it. We answer with what we think we should say. You're in church, this is a sermon, you're supposed to say Jesus is the pearl, or the church is the pearl, or world outreach is the pearl, or, or, or feeding everybody in the world is the pearl. And let's be honest and practical, most of us will never do those things. So you know what happens? We regulate parables like this for the intended for spiritual mature audiences only. So we just kind of let it go. This doesn't really apply to me, I, you know. It's for the super spiritual people. They're the ones who will get the treasure and the pearl. You know, it's Jesus, but I don't know if I'll ever find out what that, what that really looks like. And we go on with life. What's your one pearl? Here, here, here's some questions that might help you get started. Okay? And then we're going to go. You, you wrestle with these. You're not going to answer them all here. Wrestle with them. If all your bills were paid and you never had to worry about the basics of life, food, water, shelter, medical care, what would you do for free? What would you do for free? That might begin to stir up some things in you. You go, yes, that's what life is about. Yes, that's what I want to do. Here's another great question. What makes you sing my favorite song on the radio. No, no, think deeper. Think deeper. Think deeper. What makes you sing? What makes your soul sing? Opposite. What makes you cry? What grabs your heart? Rips your soul out sometimes. Here's a great question. If you could eliminate one thing from this planet, knowing with its absence would come a better chance of humans thriving and peace for people everywhere, what would it be? Have you ever considered that maybe you could get involved with getting rid of that thing on this planet? Opposite of that, what, what, it, what could you increase on this planet? What would it be? I've heard people say, I, I, I entertained that question years ago, and you know what I came up with? I came up with if, that if our planet, and this is a little bit more mission-centered, but our, if our planet had more water, fresh water for people around the world, if I could get involved, and they literally started digging wells around the world, and their life soared. Finally, they figured out what it really matters. Other people said, you know what? Foster care, getting involved in foster care, adopting a child, doing, I mean, just what? What? Last question, last question. When you're rested and work is caught up and your mind drifts away, what do you daydream about doing? What? Figure it out. It's not the thing, it's the passion to do the thing and having the courage to do it. That's where you find the kingdom of heaven in motion. That's where you find the kingdom of heaven alive and well. That's where you find the kingdom of it. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. Figure out your pearl. Figure out that treasure. Until then, you're going to keep searching. And I'm telling you, searching is exhausting. But finding, finding it 
is exhilarating and restful. Father, the story that your son Jesus told so long ago is so concentrated with truth. Father, no wonder when he got finished teaching, people would just scratch their heads and walk away. Some of them, some of them never followed him again after listening to him teach. Other people said, nobody teaches like this man. He has authority. When he was 12 years old, he was dumbfounding the teachers of the law and the scribes and Pharisees. He had an insight about things that other people never could see. These parables stirred the hearts of people, and they still stir our hearts today. God, help us get our mind off of the thing and try to buy your kingdom and instead find that, that in-between space where we finally go, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's finally understanding what life is about and getting involved to actually make that become a reality. Wake us up. Help us not spend our entire life doing things that we don't even want to do. Wasting so much time with things that really don't matter. Let us start small and just find the little thing and begin. And God, I've learned so much when we give you the little. You multiply it and give it back to us and it's so much bigger. Even if we just have a little bread and a little fish and we give it to you and say, this is all I have. You can take it and multiply it and feed multitudes. God, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Open our hearts to the truth of this message. Set us literally on fire that we might have a passion and a desire to go and find it and live it. God, our church would be different. Our communities would be different. Our region, our state, our nation would be different. Thank you for loving us and thank you for taking these stories and making them come alive. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.